Hello and welcome to another episode of the Enter the Bible podcast, where you can get answers or at least reflections on everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but were afraid to ask. I'm Katie Langston. And I'm Catherine Schifferdecker. And today we have a very special guest, uh, my own seminary teacher, Ellen Davis, who um, has become my mentor and friend over the years. And we're just so delighted uh, that she... Um, is joining us. I'm going to read her title to make sure I get it right. She is the Amos Reagan Cairns Distinguished Professor of Bible and Practical Theology at Duke University. Um, and I, uh, in fact, am using your book, Ellen, uh, Opening Israel Scriptures, uh, in my class that I'm teaching this fall. So uh, it's a, a, um, an introduction to the Old Testament, uh, and I would highly recommend it, as I would any book that Ellen has written. So thank you for joining us, Ellen. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Catherine and Katie. All right. Uh, so the question we want to address today, um, I'm going to introduce it with just a, a really brief anecdote. So a, a number of years ago, I was in rural Minnesota, southwest Minnesota. I had taken a, taken a group of students down to visit uh, farms and, um, and, and rural pastors, and we went to church in a small town uh, and then afterwards had coffee and cookies, which is kind of the third sacrament for Lutherans. And I was sitting <laughs> at a table with a, a, a group of people from the congregation, one of whom was an elderly gentleman who asked me what I taught. And I said, well, I teach Old Testament at Luther Seminary. And his immediate reaction was, oh, I don't like the Old Testament very much. There's just too much. There's just too much violence. And I just I don't like the God of the Old Testament. And I'm just glad that we have Jesus. And I thought for a minute about addressing it, and I thought, no, this probably isn't the context <laughs> to talk about it. I, too, am glad that we have Jesus, but uh, there are also uh, many, many, many treasures in the Old Testament. So the question that we're addressing, or that we're asking Ellen to address, is why should Christians read the Old Testament? So, Ellen, I know that's a huge topic, uh, and we're not going to do it justice, but uh, I'll hand it over to you. Okay. Uh First, I would say that the man you met at Coffee and Cookies is, I don't know that I can say in good company, but he's in plenty of company. Yeah, um, and the idea that we don't need, that we as Christians do not need the Old Testament is the first heresy identified by the church in the second century. Yeah. Um, so... Christians have always raised the question of why would we want to know anything about the God of the Old Testament, um, assuming that that God is a different God mm -hmm. than the God we worship as part of the Trinity. This, yeah. of course, is the basic heresy. Right, um, exactly. That what we call the Old Testament, Jesus called scripture. Right. That was his Bible. Um, and it is, for Christians, it is three quarters of the Bible. Um, so, um, and the God of the Old Testament is the God that Jesus calls his father. Mm -hmm. yep. Um, we might so, just mention that the heresy that you're talking about, Ellen, is Gnosticism, right? That that does uh, that said that you know the God 
revealed in the Old Testament is different than the God revealed in Jesus and that the God of the Old Testament was not uh, a good God. So, and the uh, most, and it, no, go ahead. The most famous proponent of this view was someone named Marcion. Marcion. So yeah. it's often referred to as Marcionism. But yes, it is. Um, it, um, it is whenever you have a, um, you might say whenever you have an orthodoxy, you're going to have a way of believing that is coherent um, over generations, you are also going to have certain distortions of that way of thinking and believing. And that too endures over generations. Yeah, sometimes yes, when that, I look at the when I look at the old heresies and compare them to things I hear in the world, I think, oh yeah, okay, there is nothing new under the sun, yeah. indeed. <laughs> <laughs> to quote Ecclesiastes, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how do how do we so yes, it's uh the 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 God of the Old Testament is the same God we know in Christ. Uh, the 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 God that got that Jesus called Father, Abba. Um, it's the Old Testament is two thirds of the, not two thirds, three quarters of the Bible. Um, and it's the Bible that Jesus knew. It, it was the only Bible, you know, that Jesus and the early disciples knew. What do we, what do we learn about? What are some of the themes, uh, that, that are important to know in the Old Testament or the figures or the, yeah. Um, well, I would say, I'm going to answer that question not so much in terms of themes, but in terms of what we would lack if we didn't have the Old Mm, Testament. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And most, the first thing that comes to my mind is we would lack most of the models for Christian prayer, Mm. which is to say we would lack the Psalms. Yeah. Um, and it's no coincidence that the Psalms is the book of the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, that is most quoted in the New Testament. Um, by that, I understand that we can't understand who Jesus is or how to live Um with God in Christ without knowing how to speak to God. Mm. And the Psalms teach us how to speak to God. Yeah. So that's I love the that first that's thing. where you went first, Ellen. I love that it went right. Not a theoretical concept necessarily, not, you know, well, if we didn't have this and we wouldn't have this the- the- theological teaching, but right into the heart of like spiritual practice and relationship with God, that that, that the Psalms provide us the language and the pattern of prayer. And I mean, one indication of that is that, you know, there's little teeny pocket Bibles that sometimes you get for free in a Christian bookstore or whatever. Almost. Well, they're not pocket Bibles. They're usually pocket new testaments uh, because the old Testament, if it were added, it wouldn't fit easily in a pocket. In a pocket. <laughs> um, but at the back 
of that pocket New Testament is what? The Psalms. It's the Psalms. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think almost invariably included in that. And mm-hmm. I think that that is tacitly making mm-hmm. the point that I just made. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I, I think one of the great gifts of the Psalms, and I think you're exactly right, that it teaches us how to speak with and listen to God. One of the great gifts, of course, is the, the form of prayer known as lament, right? This, this very honest wrestling with God, you know, how long, O oh Lord, or, um, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Probably the most famous lament. That, that there's there's some of that in the New Testament, like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, but really most of what we know about lament is from the Old Testament. And it's just such a great gift of Israel to us um, and is used, you know, probably more and better by uh, our Jewish brothers and sisters than by Christians. Uh, but... Um, and in spite of its, its, you know, the lack of its use, uh, something that um, if we didn't have it would be a great loss uh, to the church. And as you've already suggested, the evangelists in showing us Jesus's death, they are citing the Psalms repeatedly um, right. and or Jesus is reciting the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 22, but also Psalm 69, save me, O Lord, for the waters are already up to my neck. Mm. Um, And um, details from that psalm run all the way through the evangelist's account of the Passion. When when we were talking or, or emailing back and forth before this podcast, Ellen, you talked about um, the Old Testament as being a, a kind of guard against over-spiritualizing um, uh, our relationship with God or, or what we know of God or, or the world itself. Would you say more about that? Yeah. This is something I learned from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the um, German martyr of the 20th century, um, died in a Nazi prison camp. Um, and in his... In the last year and a half, I think, of his life, he is writing a series of letters which have been published as letters and papers from prison. Mm -hmm. And in that, he speaks about the fact that in what proves to be the last months of his life, he is reading more and more the Old Testament. Hmm. Um, And he he actually makes the interesting statement and the strong statement that anyone who comes to the New Testament without going through the Old Testament is no Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and and his reasoning for that is because, well, as he puts it, using sort of an anachronistic um, metaphor, the Old Testament puts the church, puts the faith community in the middle of the village. He's using Hmm. very sort of German metaphor, (laughs) uh, more than an Israelite metaphor. Uh, But his point is that the Old Testament embeds us in all the ordinary business of life. 
Mm-hmm. Um, politics, economics, family life, community life, arguing with your neighbors, getting, you know, you know, raising kids who are a mess or not, you know, um, <laughs> failure, loss, heartbreak, all of the stuff that happens in the village and everybody knows about it. Um, all that business of being human while also believing that somehow this mess is unfolding in the sight of God. Hmm. Um, that is unmistakably present in the, the Old Testament. And you could, of course, it's also present in the New Testament. Um, but the New Testament is more like the last quarter of a book you know, sort of like the last quarter of of a great multi-generational novel. <laughs> and so if you don't have all the backstory for that, then reading the last quarter of it could seem a little thin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there's just more variety, right, uh, in the Old Testament. I mean, the, the and Please, uh, listeners, don't think that we're dissing the New Testament here, obviously. We are all Christians. We, we hold the New Yay, Testament. Yay, the New Testament. Well. Yay, New Testament. But, you know, we, you have the Gospels, you have the Book of Acts, you have primarily letters, then epistles yep. with, you know, the Book of Revelation at the end. You don't have, you know, books like Proverbs, for instance, that really is concerned with the stuff of daily life and living the good life uh, in, in, in the most ethical, you know, um, sense of that word. Um, you don't have a, a lot of legal material. You don't, in, in the New Testament, you don't have obviously the book of Psalms. You don't have um, stories like Esther or Ruth. Uh, obviously you have the gospels, which are narrative. But I, I, I guess what I'm, I'm agreeing with you, Ellen, and just saying that there's, there's more kind of stuff of daily life uh, mm-hmm. in the Old Testament that just partly as a result of just the variety of types of literature that you have in the Old Testament. And in a sense, you don't need it in the New Testament. It's one of my colleagues, um, possibly one of your teachers, Christopher Seitz, um, said once, where the Old Testament does not, where the New Testament does not refer to the Old Testament, it defers to the Old Testament. Oh, interesting. I, yeah. I think it's beautifully expressed yeah. that it is assuming that we have all of those resources to draw upon. And so now it's kind of honing in on the particular part of the story that focuses on the person of Jesus. I love I love that. Yeah, um, um, Professor Seitz was one of my teachers too. When I was at Yale with you as well. Uh, yeah, when it doesn't say it again. When it doesn't. When it where it does not refer to the Old Testament, it defers to right. the Old Testament. It just so he's he's arguing against th- thinking that. If something is absent, that means it's being sort of shorn off as insignificant. No, I, that, that's really well put. There's also just the point, and, and I think your analogy of, you know, reading the last quarter of a book without reading the rest of it is, is a useful one. Because 
you know, how do you know what Jesus is doing at the Last Supper, right? <laughs> if you don't know the story of Passover, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you can certainly understand some of it, but the depth of the meaning there, the depth of the theological meaning is is really lost if you don't know about Passover. Or how do you read the texts about the new Jerusalem if you don't know about, you know, the, the original yeah. Jerusalem, right? The old Jerusalem. Right. And, and also, I mean, just another example of countless, but um, when in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus refers to his death as the Gospel of Luke being written in Greek as his exodus, his exodus, uh-huh. his um, the road out. He's referring to the way out of bondage to freedom. Right. Um, but if you don't know the first story of the Exodus, then you don't have that way of making sense of something as otherwise nonsensical as mm-hmm. how death on a cross can be a way to freedom. Yeah. Or or just the fact that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. <laughs> if you don't have the Old Testament, <laughs> you don't know what is entailed in those promises of, of the coming Messiah and how through, you know, how through Israel, the rest of the world will be blessed. Um, it's, you don't, you can't bypass Israel. You can't bypass the stories of the, of the Jewish people and their literature in order to go straight to Jesus, because it's precisely through, you know, it's precisely through Israel that God in Christ is blessing the world. And, um, and you you just can't understand at all what Jesus is doing if you don't understand where he's coming from and which promises he's fulfilling. Can, and can I, occur- oh, go ahead, Ella. Go ahead. It, it occurs to me to say in this conversation that so when Jesus speaks of at the Passover, a new covenant in my blood, mm-hmm. um, of course, we can't understand what that means if we don't understand God's ongoing commitment to humankind and to Israel um, that we see from Genesis into Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, um, and so on. Um, and But I think when we hear the new covenant in my blood, we hear that as an annulling of everything that preceded it. Right. Right. And and that, I think, is the line that leads us both to Marcionism, as Mm -hmm. we've been, as we began talking about, but it also um, has, through centuries and millennia, led Christians to anti-Judaism. Yep. which and, uh, even in my classes today, I mean, e- even very well-meaning students, right? Yep. <laughs> when we talk about difficult texts in the Old Testament, like um, like uh, the sacrifice of Isaac or what Jews call the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, they, they they too often fall into that kind of supersessionism. That's the big word yep. to talk, you know, describes what you're just talking about, Ellen, right? That That Christianity somehow replaces Judaism or the the new covenant replaces the old covenant and it and it's yeah it's not a it's not a good way of thinking about that relationship either between christians and jews or between old testament and new testament i always go you know when that happens uh, in a class i go to romans 
9 through 11, where Paul wrestles with that, you know, that um, question about, you know, what about the Jews, right? What about Israel? Uh, now that, you know, um, for the most part, you know, the majority of them are not accepting Jesus as Messiah. And he ends up saying in a very complicated argument, but he ends up saying the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Right? Mm-hmm. And and it's a it's a really important theological point to make because he's he's defending God's faithfulness. Right. If God is not faithful to Israel, to the original Israel, uh, then how can the church expect that God will will be faithful to to the church, right? So there is, yep. it's a complicated relationship, but it's the, the old covenant is still a covenant, right? God is still faithful to God's people, to, to, to Israel. And of course, the, the novum, the new thing that happens with Paul is not that the Jews are out, it's that the Gentiles are in. Are in, exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> They're yeah, grafted yeah. in, right? As Paul puts it. It's, yeah, uh, that that metaphor that he uses, right? That 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 we as Gentiles are the 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 wild olive branches grafted into the yep. the root of Israel, into the original olive tree. So we need to have humility. Right? Should not be proud. So, can uh, we're uh, probably getting close to needing to wrap this up, but I I want to ask uh, Ellen if you could address one more kind of aspect of this related to what we've just been talking about. And that is, um, I think many Christians, whether on purpose or, you know, accidentally tend to read Old Testament and New Testament, the relationship as prophecy and fulfillment, right? That, mm-hmm. uh, that, that the Old Testament is relevant only insofar as it prophesies Christ and I know this is a huge question, but I wonder if you could talk about hearing, hearing the voice of the Hebrew Bible of the Old Testament, kind of, uh, and on its own merits, um, and not just as prophecy and fulfillment. Um, I think you're right. It's a huge question. I know. I know. But it's as a, a sort of first foray into it, I'll say, I don't think anybody reads the Old Testament Hebrew Bible entirely on its own merit, which is to say, um, Christians read it um, as being completed in terms of scripture by the New Testament. and Jews read it as being completed or continued, maybe as a better um, way of putting it, through centuries of rabbinic commentary. So I just think it's important to remember that um, that the Old Testament, uh, so-called, is a, it is a collection of books that has lived in two traditions because it keeps begetting new understandings. Um, and one of those, uh, certainly for Christians, one of the dominant ones is, as you say, the prophecy and fulfillment with Jesus being the Jewish Messiah. Um And 
And in addition to that, um, I would say that we can't understand who Jesus is um, not only as the Messiah, not only as the anointed one in the house of David, um, but Jesus speaks of himself, for instance, um, as being in the line of the prophets. Hmm. Um, and he's not a wonder worker. He's not an aspirant to political power. Um, he is a prophet, and it is as a prophet that he expects to be rejected and ultimately to die in Jerusalem. As many prophets were. Right. <laughs> and so, um, so in order to understand that part of Jesus's self-understanding, then we need to hear what the prophets are saying, both in promise and in castigation, um, in denouncing our sins. So that would be, I mean, that's just one example of, as another one of um, our colleagues and teachers, Richard Hayes, often speaks about reading the Bible back and forth. Richard Hayes is a New Testament scholar. Um, but he says continually we're having to go, as Christians, we're having to go back and forth between the two, two Testaments in order to understand, I mean, quite frankly, on any given Sunday um, or any time we are in church to understand the fullness of the message that is being offered to us in, um, in the lessons appointed for the day. Well, thank you. I, that that probably wasn't a fair question to ask at the end of our time. But you did well, a very insightful. Job. I love that. Yeah. I love that image that Richard Hayes talks yeah, about of going good. back and forth. I think that's that gets at what I was trying to ask. Right? It's not simply a one way street of the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible saying something, and it, but and it's completed in the New Testament. Though that is certainly one uh, valid way, uh, a traditional way of reading it. But it's a dialogue back and forth between both collections, uh, between Old Testament and New Testament. So. And I'll just say that if there is a sense in which um, it is finished in Jesus, it is perfected, as Jesus says, on the cross, um, and yet... Then there's the book of Acts. <laughs> and so we are always going on in the Christian community and in the Jewish community. We are always carrying this, um, this message into new contexts. Um, and certainly the book of Acts encourages us to do so and, and the letters that follow. Yeah. 
Well, thank wow, you so that much, was uh, yeah, super insightful. Thank you so much. What what a joy to have you with us, and um, thank you to our listeners and viewers for being with us on this episode of the Enter the Bible podcast. You can get more great conversations and reflections, resources, courses, all kinds of things at enterthebible.org. And if you're watching us on YouTube, um, be sure to like and subscribe uh, or rate on, rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. And of course, uh, share the podcast with a friend. Until next time. <laughs>